welcome back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. It's episode 106. I'm your host, Bruce, and I'm joined on the line once again by Lux. So, Lux, how are you now? I am doing good. Excellent. Excellent. What's shaking? What's rocking and rolling down in Texas, my friend? Some big things, and then, as I was telling you earlier before we started recording, I had the in a in great fortune of being able to draft Rise of the Eldrazi. Ooh! Who had a box of that kicking around? That's a and little was, bit spicy. Yeah, they, it was one of our regulars, you know, and they, they recently you know, got a new job, and they got their first paycheck, and something. Since it was pretty handsome, they decided to go out and get a spicy box of something. Oof. Oof. Ah, you don't say. You don't say. That's pretty cool, I have to say. I have never sat down and drafted Rise of the Eldrazi. I have heard it's very battle cruisery. That's does it, would that be a fair summation of what it is? And pretty much. Like you're playing all the biggest, baddest dudes you can find. And everybody's able to do it because everybody's doing the, the big old giant monster thing. So that's pretty cool. Now, let's go. the question has to come out and ask, did you get any cool Eldrazi, my friend? And, and I got a few, but and they, unfortunately, I did not get any of the Titans. Another player happened oh. to have that in the fortune. They they got the great pleasure of being able to draft all three. Really? Yeah, all and three. They, they, it was in their three packs. That's well, I would hope so. Like if anybody else opened those, like you should draft them. Yeah. So let's go see what Emrakul and Torn is worth. So if you get it in the original printing, it looks like it's like fifty bucks. And then Ulamog, Ceaseless Hunger. No, not that one. The Infinite Gyre. That one's $70. And then we have Kozilek, Butcher of Truth. No, Kozilek, Butcher. Truth. That one's 70 dollars as well. So you're telling me that somebody opened up three packs that opened up almost $200 in Mythics? Pretty much. Gross. Good for them, but gross. Oh, that's 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 pretty special, right there. Oh, yeah. They moly. they basically made a deck where they it was just a few Eldrazi and mostly lands. But get this, they came out on top. Um, I'm not shocked. Let's be real. I think the strategy there is you ramping as hard as you can. Because you're going to have one of those big three monsters in your hand, and you need to get them onto the table. But once they're on the table, they're really difficult to deal with. If they can swing, it's even more brutal because the Annihilator trigger. And on top of it, if they, even if they do die, they go they shuffle your graveyard into your deck. And since you've filtered out all the land, the chances are pretty good you're going to get them back. So... Disgusting, fun, but disgusting. So, do you know what I drafted? What did you draft? 
I drafted some new Capenna on Arena. You know what I hate doing, Lux? What? Drafting new Capenna on Arena. You know why? Maybe yes. They drafting new Capenna on Arena. No, no, no. It's because it's Broker's decks for days. Very clearly, Broker's is the, the strategy that everybody wants to be on. And so consequently, all you play is nothing but variations on Broker's decks. Because no one wants to be in the Cabaretti. No one wants to be in Maestro's. No one, well, there are a few people who want to be in Maestro's. No one wants to be in the Obscura. They all want to be brokers. And so... What do people do with, like, it's like you said, like, they're, they, if you end up getting Rafine, like, he is so good. Like, nor if nor you get a, you. No. Seriously, they, Obscura exists. River Tears exists. Like, why not go with one of those? Like, Cabaretti exists. You have to ask the players who are, who are drafting this stuff, but apparently, Brokers is where it's at, and so I was drafted today, and all I got was Brokers. Every game I played, with the exception of one, was a Brokers deck. And I'm like, what is going on? And you know what the one I saw that wasn't Brokers? It was Obscura. That is the one deck I saw that was different. And it still plays blue and white. So I'm like, is this really that much different? I don't know. So, you know, yeah. like, I'm going to speak on the behalf of the Cabaretti, even though I'm not with them. Hey, uh, Brokers players, Jenny Faye would like to know your location. <laughs> Jenny Faye would like to have a word. Yes, I'm sure she would. Anyway, it was very frustrating. I'm like, oh, but I figure I need to do it because if I want to get on and play Brawl, uh, historic Brawl or regular Brawl with any of the those legendary creatures... You need to get. I need to get some. Some need to draft some stuff and get the cards because I'll be honest with you, spending the wild cards kind of sucks. But uh, I built. Uh, I built another brawl deck or my, another historic brawl deck. So when we get to talking about Nuka Penna and brawl, um, I'll have a couple of decks to to fool around with and talk about. Um, yeah. And my standard deck, even get this, you know what my standard deck is? It's a looks what? like a it looks like a broker's deck because it's all these like it's all these <laughs> titans of industry. So you put like shield counters on everything, and you're blinking them with teleportation circle, and you're just like blinking your titans for days. It is really quite funny. I'm like, oh, and so there's all sorts of aggro decks that are trying to get in there. Like I, I've, I've faced mono black, mono white, mono red, all mo like all very aggressive, and they get me to like eight, and I can stabilize, and then they can't finish me through the Titan of Industry that comes down and gains me five life, puts a shield counter on it, and then I blink it again, and now it's you know makes me a four four rhino with a shield counter, and it, like they just can't kill it, and I'm like well. And I'm just going to blink teleportation, like blink with my teleportation circle every single turn. Seems good. Lots of fun. So, anyway. Um, yeah. All right, my friend. Let's get on to some uh, housekeeping business here before we get, it gets uh, too late tonight. So, 
folks, if you like what you hear here on the show each and every week, uh, you can check us out. All of our content's available on thelotuscouncil.com. That is our home on the internet. They have been very gracious to let us post our podcast free of charge uh, for everyone to enjoy. And, uh, you know, it's uh, just one more perk that the Lotus Council offers. Uh, if you like other things, they've got Sona, who is regularly posting YouTube videos. They often have um, gameplay on their on Twitch. They also will set up webcam EDH. But the best place for, obviously, for us is the Discord with lots of great players who love to talk about all things EDH or all things magic. So come on in, check them out. Uh, come and see for yourself. I don't think you'll be disappointed. So come and check out thelotuscouncil.com. The link to the Discord is going to be in our show notes. So go ahead, check it out, and uh, tell them that Bruce and Lux sent, them, sent you. All right? Okay. So are you ready, Lux? Yep. All right, so we've got three segments today. We've got a garbage or great, and then segment two is going to be talking about Baldur's Gate. So Commander Legends Baldur's Gate previews are well underway, and so we're going to talk about uh, what that means. And then we've got a cool deck. We're going to come back to the streets of New Capenna, and we're going to look at an Evelyn Vampire's deck. So, with lots to do, let's get out of business. Are you ready? Yep. Buckle up. All right, here we go. First card... We've got our garbage or great tonight is Death Priest of Mirkul, which is a uh, tiefling cleric. And it's a 2-2. And it says, skeletons, vampires, and zombies you control get plus one, plus one. At the beginning of your end step, if a creature died this turn, you may pay one. If you do, create a 1-1 one, one black skeleton creature token. So, what do we think, Lux? Is Death Priest of Mirkul garbage, or is this great? And I'm not sure because an AFR is a set that I have not had any experience with at all. Agreed. Um, that is fair. So let's have a quick look. Okay. So here's my here's my take on this card. I don't think this card is great. Okay. Um, if you're looking to be, it, it cares about three different creature types: skeletons, vampires, and zombies. It is unlikely that you're going to be playing all three of those creature types together in the same deck. All right. So you're going to have a, you're going to have a, a vampire's deck. You're going to have a zombie's deck. I don't know if you're really going to have a skeleton's deck, but certainly vampires and zombies exist at four mana. Um, I don't know. I think you can find more compelling options at four mana than this as a quasi Lord for your, for your deck. Now, that's not to say that people don't want to play this card, because if you're being a if you're building a budget zombies list and you're you can't get your zombie master or you can't get an undead war chief or you can't get some of these expensive lords that really uh, play with your zombies, you can get this, and this is twelve cents. So if you're playing on a budget, a budget zombies list, a budget vampires list, like you could get a, quite a bit of mileage out of this Death Priest of Mirkul. Um, and the fact that it triggers the secondary ability when a creature from any player dies, that you have to pay the one, again, you get, is, you get a black skeleton's creature token, which plays into the other creature type that this does. So it's sort of like self-reinforces, which I think is a benefit to the card, for instance. 
Um, but I'm not in love with this because I do think you have better options for lords in this particular, like in these color, like or these tribes. So I don't know if Death Priest of Mirkul is pretty good. Uh, or um, so yeah, I just don't think that's that particularly compelling uh, as far as you know uh, a whole a whole deck, right? So I'm looking through and yeah. like what other if you if you're going to play a skeleton deck, what would you look at? Um, like I'm looking at this and I'm looking at things like there's some really suspect options for skeletons so i don't think you're building a skeleton like like i think the best one that i'm seeing here is like moss pit skeleton um from zendikar rising which is a 2-2 with kicker three and it can be a 5-5 and you can cast it from your graveyard again which i mean seems cool but i don't know um yeah so don't love it um I think it's fine. Like I said, I think it's a fine card. I think people are going to find that it, there's better options for it. I think, I think fundamentally, it's it's just acceptable. It's not a good card. It's just if you need an option and you're playing with constraints, then this is the sort of card you can lean into. And just, it's not going to be embarrassing, but it's also not going to be a hugely rewarding card to play in your deck let me just look there was a card where was this enchantment there there's like a multicolored, like a green black enchantment that makes skeletons from i wanted to say it was afr skeletal swarming three black green enchantment each skeleton you control has trample and attacks each combat if able and gets plus X plus O, where X is the number of other skeletons you control. At the beginning of your end step, create a tapped 1-1 black skeleton creature uh, creature token. If a creature died this turn, create two of the, those tokens instead. So very clearly, like, this card, Death Priest of Miracle, is supposed to play with skeletal swarming and, you know, to make something good and limited. Uh, I think in, in Commander, it's going to be a little bit lackluster um while it's going to be a fine budget option i don't think it's great lux any other thoughts on this and not really yeah like folks it's a fine card all right i can't call it great though i can't i can't do it like if this is going to be an auto include in every vampire's deck or every zombie's deck sure we could talk it's not. It's okay. It's going to be like, it's going to be like in the hundred and twentieth card that you might that you're going to cut, and maybe you play it because it's holding a place or something better you want to get and you haven't picked up yet. So it's a fine card. It's not. It, it isn't garbage. I can't call it garbage because it's clearly much better than garbage, but it's not great. So. I know we don't usually come down on the fence one way or the other, but this one is very much like contextual in the middle. With, like there are reasons to play this card. Most of them stem from being budgetary or tribal, but you're going to cut it for something better more often than not. There we go. Summed up. <laughs> yep. 
Okay, let's get down to the business with some of this Baldur's Gate goodness. Now, I will be honest, audience. I have had a hard time keeping track of all the spoilers or pre previews that have come out for Baldur's Gate because I feel like we just finished talking about New Capenna and all of a sudden we have this yet another new product coming down the pipe, banging on the door. So, my wallet is crying, Lux. Um, <laughs> I don't know how your, yours feels. Mine is crying. So, anyway, let's have a quick look at some of these cards. All right, so, um, I'll do the first one there, Lux, and then we can uh, go from there. All right, so Battle Angels of Tear. Two white, white creature, Angel Knight. It's a 4 4 with flying and myriad. Myriad is a card, we have, is an ability we have not seen in a while. Um, and it says whenever Battle Angels of Tear deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. That player has more cards in hand than each than each other player. Then you create a treasure token if that player controls more lands than each other uh, each other player. Then you gain three life if that player has more life than each other player. So, okay, let's go back and work this through, Lux. Okay, so flying, we all know what flying is. Myriad is an ability we haven't seen in a long time, right? Yeah. So the meaning of Myriad... So reading it, okay. Um, here we go. Myriad is a triggered keyword ability um, introduced in Commander 2015. By way of token copies, it enables a creature to be used to attack multiple players at once. So when this creature attacks, you end up making um, a copy for each player at the table. So you could have three Battle Angels of Tear attack because. When the first, when this one does, it makes two copies of itself, and now they're each player is being attacked by this, which is cool. And so now you get all three of those clauses to, to trigger, where you have um, you could potentially draw cards, you could potentially make treasure, you could potentially gain life, um, which all of them feel like catch up mechanics that um, White needs in order for it to keep pace with the rest of the table, oftentimes. Lux, any thoughts here on Battle Angels of Tear? Are you is this sort of card like you kind of want to explore, particularly in, um, in your in any of your decks that are coming up? And I might. No, I mean, this seems this seems like it would probably fit, and uh, I mean, I'll have to in look at the decks that I have because I'm pretty sure they this will fit in one of them. Yeah, no. I'm just looking at Myriad some more. Um, uh, yeah. see. Um, does does it have to yeah. sacrifice the tokens at the end of the turn? Um, uh, you've got to. They they can't stay, right? Um, exile the tokens at the end of combat. So you're gonna lose the tokens as you can. If you could find a way to keep the tokens, that'd be excellent. Um. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I think this card is interesting. Um, I think the catch-up mechanic is cool. I don't... And, the, and like, 4-mana for a 4-4 four, four flyer with extra brick of text is usually a pretty good recipe for a pretty good card, right? Yep. Like, none of that is a drawback. 
So there's no reason not to play this card. It's not like it's 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 like you know making you sacrifice something or and it's just it's just doing something good. My only concern is that this doesn't have haste, so it comes down, and you're gonna if you're gonna want to you're going to want to play this sort of card and get after your opponents fast because if they have time to set up, you're not gonna like those myriad that a myriad effect is not going to be nearly as appealing as if you could come down and surprise them with this. So I'm sort of imagining this this going in like a like a, a red-white deck where you're going to find a way to give Battle Angel of Tear like some haste and like something like to come out the gate screaming mad at people. Um, because I think if you let them set up, they're going to have a way to fend this off and it's not going to be nearly as effective. Because um, for that second long clause to trigger, it has to deal combat damage to a player. So you're looking to, you're incentivized to have you know, Battle Angels here wear your swift foot boots or anger in your graveyard or something where you can get after your opponents right away. Um, because I think all those are good, but it's not game-breaking in the sense that, like, this is going to absolutely, you know, demolish the table, right? Like, this just seems like a good value play. What do you think, Lux? Like, am I mis? Have I misread this? And known thing, if you ask me, this is one of those cards that makes me want to rebuild a Samet. You know what? I think that'd be a, a, a pretty good spot for this. Like Samet wants powerful creatures to come down at like reasonable, like reasonable rates. You can't just play like battle cruiser, like play like your eight mana thing. Because, like, then your whole turn is sunk into doing one big thing. Whereas, like, Battle Angels of Tear as, like, medium, like, priced at a medium price point, that four mana, that you could play it respectively if you, you know, can't get Samet down on the board. It's not, you're not embarrassed. If you can get Samet down earlier, then you could, like, that Battle Angels of Tear rip and just, like, smoke some people. So... I like that idea of going in salmon. That's a really good place to put that. I like that. That's a good suggestion. That's good. All right, let's go move on. Bramble Sovereign. Go ahead, Lux. Paper two, green, green, and creature dryad in the four, four. Whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield, you may pay one in a green. If you do, that creature's controller creates a token that's a copy of that creature. Whoa. I hadn't read that. That seems really good. Yep. Woo! So, folks, that means you're making tokens of your non-token creatures. Um, so long as they're not legendary, of course. I feel like that's really good. I'm just going to pull this up here. What are the top creatures that you could play along and, like, you know? So... Oh wow! So what? Like, what if you made a copy of an Eternal Witness? That seems good, right? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. How about copies of Sakura Tribe Elder? Get some lands. Copies of Reclamation Sage. Copies of 
dockside extortionist. Holy Nelly. Yeah. So this card I think is going to be really good. And like, again, four mana, four, four with text that is ultimately very positive. I mean, this is not going to be a CEDH card, I don't think. Because let's imagine um, you have, so you've played your Dockside Extortionist out. You play your Bramble Sovereign. You need to have two more mana to activate it. Copy Dockside again. Like, I feel like... And I feel like this breaks the color pie. Because I feel like this is creating a token. Like, it shouldn't be a token. Like, I don't know what this... Like, this should be a, bl a blue-green card. But it's not. Like, this is like... And, oh, if you can blink this... Whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield, you may pay... No, okay. So this has to be down first. Then you put your dockside. And you get... So you're spending four mana... That seems really good. Lux, that's yeah. really gross. And, like, then it partners with, like, Parallel Lives, and it partners with uh, Doubling Season, <laughs> or you put it with Anointed Procession and get other things. Um, what's the, like, what's the best white creature we can get a hold of? Well, Sun Titan seems good. So, double Solemn Simulacro, mm. dub, Double Esper Sentinel. That seems really good. Like, these seems like really good options. That's disgusting. And you know what I'm thinking? Go ahead. Tell me. Jam this and Netheroy. Ooh, yeah. Now, the, yeah, I mean, the problem becomes it can't, it can't create copies or tokens of legendary creatures, but I think there's enough good targets that aren't legendary that you can do have a lot of fun with this. All right, I'm in. Yep. I'm sold. <laughs> Yeah, just they like with this, just mutate out the wazoo. Oh, yeah. All right, Blood Money is the next one. Five black, black for a sorcery. Destroy all creatures. For each non token creature destroyed this way, create a tapped treasure token. I hate this card. I hate this card. So it's going to get played, Lux. It's going to get played in a deck with Revel and Riches. That's the only place you're going to play this card. Because, and like, here's the trap. Okay, people are going to read this card and they're going to be like, oh, that's such a good card because I can play it and then I'm going to get a rebate and get my man and get some mana back. It might even be mana positive for my blood for, for having cast blood money. Right? Because that's what, that's what people are going to think. Right, Lux? Like, think about it. If there's nine creatures on the board... You cast blood money, you mop up the board, you get nine treasures, you come out ahead. Right? That's the that's the logic, right? And they they the people playing the card, yes, they the people who it's being played against, you wanna know what they're thinking? Well they're thinking that they want to take this person out back. But the problem is this costs seven mana. Like in most games. Seven mana is a huge investment. And, like, this doesn't have an uncounterable clause. Like, this is a trap. Like, there's a reason that when people play board wipes, they're playing them at, at two mana, sorry, at three mana, at four mana, at five mana. We're not getting to six and seven. Like, the only one I think that gets played at beyond five is, like, 
I've seen In Garrick's Wake and I've seen Ruinous Ultimatum. But like like this is gonna be this this has gotta be a limited card here. Like this is what it gotta be a mythic for limited. And I mean it could it could be good. It could be in in, in impactful, but I think in most decks it's just gonna be too slow to really be meaningful. And you mop up the board and you're gonna be like, Yeah, like I killed everything. And I get my nine mana back, which mm-hmm. could be good, but I think there's also a really good situation where like this only gets you three creatures and you spent seven mana to get to kill three things, including whatever the big scary thing your opponent has. So anyway, I'm not sure I like this card. Yeah, well like it could go either way, cause and you know like I managed to make Jockalops and uh, work on a consistent basis. Uh, yeah. But then again, like I had a like I had like a good build for it, you know, like I had you know, like the appropriate amount of ramp and like other things, and I had cards on standby that would help me untap the you know, land. Yeah, no, for sure. Alongside, yeah, I, I think I think it could be built in such a way, but like I, my worry is that this card is going to be picked up. Like people are going to open their packs. At, at whatever they, whenever they get their hands on Commander Legends, and they're like, "Sweet blood money!" And they're gonna put it in with their deck. When this doesn't go in just any deck, this is going in a treasure deck, like in Prosper or Kalein, or like those treasure-based decks. Maybe in Zayatora, where you're making a bunch of treasures already, and then you can then use the treasures from this to to fuel your Revel and Riches. Or to fuel something else, stimulus package, to fuel casting your bootlegger stash, like whatever. Like you can do stuff with it if you're in those sorts of treasure heavy decks. But if you're just playing this in your like like your Tasa Karlov deck, like I don't think that's gonna go there at all. Like I think you're gonna wanna play cheaper wraths at that point. Like so like I think this card like it'll it's not unplayable garbage but it's definitely like more niche than people are are going to immediately assume it is because they look at it and they go that's a board wipe that goes in everything and you're like actually this one this one doesn't it goes it's telling me i want to do a very particular thing and so i can't just jam it anywhere tis my thoughts maybe i'm wrong I'd like to, I, I would love it if people would prove me wrong and show me decks where they're going to play this card and make me believe that this card is not is not just a niche card, but is actually a staple. Because I think the card is cool. I love getting mana back for blowing up all the stuff. But I don't think it's going to be a thing. I think you're going to be wondering when... Is this, like, this card's going to get stuck in people's hands, and they're just not going to be able to fire it off. So... That's my thoughts. Yeah, like now that I'm look, like now that I'm looking at it, uh, yeah, no, like, this might be a good card in limited, but I don't see this taking off at all in EDH. And they like, people are like are gonna be thinking, okay, yeah, like I have this, but there are other cards in my hand that I could spend that money on. Yeah, like that's sort of the thing, right? Like I think, I mean, again, I can I can conceive of a deck where you want to play this, like the Zayatora, Revel and Riches. Uber tre- heavy on treasure deck is gonna want to is gonna want this card, but I think other decks or like Prosper for instance, 
but I'm not sure that this card inherently goes in every black deck. So, anyway. All right. We've got up next. Good luck pronouncing this one. Yeah, they, we have Captain Thing. <laughs> Honestly, Bruce, I, I am not even going to attempt to pronounce that. Nagathrod? Like, I guess let's they... Call, let's seriously. just call him the Captain. All right, we have the Captain here. What about the Captain? Yep. For three, a blue and a black legendary creature or pirate. Three, six. Horrors you control have menace. Whenever a horror you can... Control deals combat damage to a player. That player mills that many cards. At the beginning of your end step, choose target artifact or creature card in an opponent's graveyard that was put there from their library this turn. Put it onto the battlefield under your control. Oh. Oh. Okay. So. Uh, let's put it there from my library this turn. Yes, you can only get. Okay, like. Oh, man. Like, this is very clearly a tribal card. Well, yeah, it's a tribal matters card. I was looking for all the blue and black uh, um, horrors that we can find. All right, so there's some number of them. So you get, like, things like your uh, aberrant, uh, aberrant researcher. You get things like advanced stitch wings. You get hullbreaker horror. Um... What else do you get? There's a bunch of old ones that I don't think I like. Cabal Therapist. Chain Throat Seeker. There's a lot of horrors, but I'm not sure they're good. And you start getting into, like, really weird things that aren't, like... Like, things like Cosmic Horror, which is, like, a card from a million years ago, which no one really wants to play. So, like, we're talking, like, there's enough cards here. Like, you could do a tribal based deck i'm not sure it's like it seems pretty neat like i think this is just gonna be like this is gonna be a fun deck rather than a good deck but i think it's rather interesting i like i like casting my yep. opponent's stuff too oh no you're casting it. you're putting it you're just putting it onto the battlefield kind of like that now the only hitch here is you gotta deal combat damage to a player with your with your horror. So you need to find a way to ensure that you can get through. Which is a bit of a downer. I also think the best card for the like the next the next card that goes in after this deck, like, when you're building ca the captain here, you're very, very definitely going to go do something like you play your Sol Ring and you play your Arcane Signet. And then the next card you're going to be putting in is, yeah, it's going to be put, going to be put like, um, Ashiok. The Ashiok from Theros Beyond Death made horror tokens. So that's uh, Ashiok Nightmare Muse. And so Ashiok goes in, a five mana Planeswalker, three, three blue black, plus one, create a two, three blue and black nightmare creature token with whenever this creature attacks or blocks. Each opponent exiles the top two cards of the library. So, you know, the horror tokens, you could get a couple of triggers off this, like one off uh, the captain and then one off Ashiok, which I think is pretty, pretty decent. I don't know. I'm not sure it's a great, I'm not sure it's a great deck, but it certainly seems fun. 
I'm kind of I'm kind of on board. Lux, what do you think? Yep. Yeah. And this might be something that and you know you can brew up for make a casual match. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's a perfect place to play this. It goes in a casual match. I think you know the nice part about it. It also got the the pirate text on it, which could be you know goes on a pirate deck, which is interesting in its own right. Um, so it goes with Beckett Brass and can contribute towards you stealing things with with pirates. So I don't, I mean I don't hate the card. Um, I but I I am a little. I think again I think you're right. This is like this feels like a this feels like a limited card that is going to be um, interesting, but I'm not sure it's going to be particularly awesome for. You know, people to people to to build powerful decks. I think it'll be, it'll be fun, cute decks. I think. All right. Up next, we have El Minster. El Minster. Okay, so here, here, folks. When I was a kid, I read a lot of books from the Forgotten Realms. All right, I read a whole pile of them. I had a whole bookcase full of the books, and yeah, El Minster is a character I was reasonably familiar with. There isn't much doubt in my mind. Elminster is a ripoff of Gandalf. He's the Forgotten Realms' interpretation of Gandalf. So now we have Gandalf coming out to play, or Elminster, I guess. So three white blue, legendary planeswalker Elminster. And then he's go. Uh, Elminster can be your commander, and it has a loyalty of five. All right. So Elminster has a passive. Whenever you scry, the next instant or sorcery spell you cast this turn costs X. X less to cast, where X is the number of cards looked at while scrying this way. Elminster plus two, draw a card, then scry two. So, with Elminster, if you just plus two him, you can have a two mana cost reduction off an instant or sorcery you cast this turn. Okay. Seems... Seems good, right? Uh, minus three. Exile the top card of your library. Create a number of one one blue fairy dragon creature tokens with flying equal to that card's mana value. So this is a very difficult card to 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 assess um, because of the fact that you're looking for talk deck manipulation, but it's not obviously clear that that's going to result in you in running away with the game. So, what do you think, Lux? Like, are you more interested in the cost reduction feature of the plus two, or are you looking to, like, set up the top of your deck and, like, get a pile of blue fairy dragons? I mean, honestly, between you and me, and the cost reduction really seems spicy. Helps you get things out quicker. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I think that's the part that I think people are going to find is most interesting. Um, and there's going to be some, so let's have a look here at some top instants and sorceries in blue and white. So, like, you can't, you're not going to be able to cast things like counterspell because that's going to be on your, someone else's turn. Um, although I guess if you have instant speed ways to trigger, um, to trigger your scry you could get a reduction although that said you can't do it on counterspell per se um cyclonic rift is probably the first one that appeals to me because you can make cyclonic rift cheaper you can make chaos warp for a single red which i think seems decent if you're playing jeskai 
Um, what else are you playing that is going to require you to reduce the casting cost? Like these are these are the most played cards, like instances of sorceries. Uh you know. Like you're getting I don't know, like you're just not getting lots of great options. Maybe if I do it this way, I'm finding anything better. Not really. So yeah, like I, I don't I mean that that's a potentially interesting ability. I don't love it. I don't know, Lex. Like, I feel like this is... I feel like the, what you what this is, wants to do is, like... It wants to be, like, like Animatu. And Animatu, like, wants to manipulate the top of your deck. So you could make a... And then this guy will allow you to flood the board with a bunch of tokens. And you pump them. And so, like, you play something like Dictative Heliod or something like that. Pump your tokens and then take out the table. I think this one hinges on that minus three, to be perfectly honest, more so than the plus two. But, I don't know. He's pre-selling for an awful lot of money, that's for sure. Woo! Yep. That's a, like pre-selling for almost $23 for a, for a non-foil pack version. Woo! Anyway. All right. What do we got next? Next up, we have Elminster Simulacrum. Like for four blue and blue, instant. For each opponent, you create a token that's a copy of up to one target creature that player controls. Huh. I, I see. Six mana. And when are you like? Okay, this is a six mana instant. That seems really powerful. But how many times are you going to have a six mana a six mana open at the end of your turn to sit to save up and like to fire off if you need to like find some blockers or whatever? I, I don't know if you're going to be able to hold up six mana for the surprise factor of Ilminster's Blackrum just allowing you to blow your opponent out. I just don't know. I don't know if that's going to work. Six mana is a lot of mana, dude. Yeah. Like, so like this is a similar casting cost to Sublime, Sublime Epiphany, and so I guess Sublime Epiphany is in almost twenty six thousand decks. So I mean, I guess it could replay in in decks. I don't know. Like, it just I would like it to be good. I don't know if it will be, but I think it's a pretty cool card. It's a pretty neat ability. And it's so open-ended. It just open-ends with like everything your opponents are doing. They play something big, well, now you get to copy it and you want one too. So. I feel like it's pretty, pretty decent, though. Yeah. Oh, here. I don't know. All right. And that's just pretty simple, though, on the whole, right? Like, it's, what the question is really is, is your deck in, yeah. the, in, in the market for yeah. six mana instance to copy creatures? Like if you're if the answer to that question is yes, then you're gonna be loving it. Alright, up next we have Faldhorn, Dread Wolf Herald. One red green free, three three legendary creature, human druid. Whenever you cast a spell from exile or a land enters the battlefield under your control from exile, create a two two green wolf creature token. One and tap, discard a card, exile the top card of your library. 
You may play it this turn. This one's really interesting. I'm going to be very honest. So, three mana, three, three. Those are pretty good stats. Like, Faldorn's ain't, Faldorn ain't nothing to mess with. All right? And then, Faldorn fuels itself to end up like casting, like, discard cards and then exile them and play them. And then when you play them, you get the creature or whatever you cast plus a wolf. That seems good. And you may play the exile card. Like, so you, it's like impulse draw where you can get the, you can play the land off the top. This, this is interesting. Oxlux. And I think this might see, and uh, it looks like it has some potential, doesn't it? Yeah. And so I just got me thinking about Tovalar. So Tovalar reads this. Whenever a wolf or a werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more wolves and or werewolves, it becomes night and transform any number of human werewolves you, you control. So... Like, if you're going to be looking at Faldhorn, like, I think Faldhorn could go in its own deck, but I think it's probably more impactful in Tovalar, where you can use this as a way to generate wolves so you can control the night-day cycle and use Tovalar to help you draw cards and make your opponent's life miserable. Um, yeah, like, I think... I, I like this card. I, I like this one a lot. This is probably one of the more interesting ones, too. This is interesting. I don't know how good it is. That's the real question. Like, I don't know if it's going to be like a staple or if it's just going to be something that in six months' time people aren't really playing. But I think it's going to de definitely has merit to explore. Anything else, Lux? Okay. Nope. We have who? Fierk Rag Cunning Instigator. I think this is yours, right? Um, I believe so. Okay, so the three blue and red, a three three legendary creature dragon by flying in haste. Whenever one or more dragons you control attack an opponent, go target creature that player controls. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, if that creature had to attack this combat, you put a plus one plus one counter on the uh, Rick Rag, kind of instigator, and draw a card. So, more goad. More goad. Yep. I, I don't think this is going to be... This, is, this doesn't strike me as being a commander of a deck. This goes in... Nope. Oh, go ahead. This is... Like, it goes in the 99, and I'm picking from how this looks. They... I don't see this going into a regular is it deck. I think it's either going to be Teamer or and and Grixis. Yeah, yeah. Like I think I like definitely think it's going to be like in a like a four five color dragons deck three at the minimum. Like I think it's what I think is going to be. Yeah, like, anyway, I think it's interesting. I think it's pretty cool. I like goad as a mechanic. You can goad people, and then you can make them fight, and then you can giggle as they expend their resources killing each other's stuff 
But, uh, yeah, I think this goes in the 99 again, which I think is probably a fair place for it. So it looks like an interesting card, but I don't think it's not, you know, it's not game-breaking. All right, what do we got next? Here we are. So, up next, we have Carlock Fury of Avernus. Four and a red for legendary creature Tiefling Barbarian. A 5-4. Whenever you attack, if it's the first combat phase of the turn, untap all attacking creatures. They gain first strike until end of turn. After this phase, there is initial combat phase. And you can choose a background. So choosing a background is where you can choose a background, uh, which is the number of cards that are enchantments that can go in your command zone, along with, with Carlock. Um, yeah. So what do you think about Carlock there, Lux? And this is another one of those cards where, like, I'll probably have to see it and play first. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, like, like what sort of deck wants to play extra combat steps? And, like, it goes in Aurelia, it goes in Morog. Like, it seems like a, like we've already seen this sort of card in this deck go. The only thing that is interesting to me is the choose a background. Because that could really mix things up, where now you're getting exposure to a whole bunch of different cards. Um... I think it's fine. Like it's it's a fine fine. I mean, you're not going to get tons of combat stages off Carlock, but I think it's just fine. And you're going to be there's going to be decks that want it and want it quite badly, and are going to do whatever they can to get it onto the battlefield. So I think it's fine. I don't think it breaks anything. And I don't think it kills us if we. I don't think it kills anything. Like, it's just just fine, right? Yeah. All right, Legion Loyalty. Oh, this one. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Oh, this is, this is you, right? Yep. Okay, Legion Loyalty for six oh. and white, white. Enchantment. Creatures you control have myriad. This is a game ender right here. This is just going to... This is this is the top end of your yeah. white deck or your white green deck or whatever. And this is just going to wreck the table. Like this is white's, like this feels like might white's overrun, like just the biggest bob you could play. You're gonna make a million creatures, and like, and honestly, they I could just imagine blue players like they see you tapping in a eight mana and they with a using a white deck. I can imagine they're gonna be hoping that they have uh, an, a yeah counter spell in yeah, their hand. Absolutely. So I'm just going to put this out there. So it's, I'm reading that the, whenever a creature with myriad attacks, you know who, which, which recent commander really cares about attacking? How does this go in Ishin? <laughs> yeah, Ooh. man. Oh, yeah. Like you're, oh, yeah, you're big like, time. You're Mardu. And like, Mardu. I, you're gonna, like this and like Perforos, God of, God of the Forge, and like Impact Tremors, and a million creatures, and you're going to double the combat trigger or the, the attack trigger with Ishin, and you're probably going to kill the table. Like it's going to be like game over in a heartbeat, and I think it's fantastic. So, anyway, I think Legion loyalty will be surprisingly good. Um, it's obviously not for the faint of heart. It's eight mana in a color that has a hard time ramping. However, I think it definitely has potential to be fun. 
and will definitely be a story. Can you like, imagine the first time you watch the thing pop off on you, Lux, and you go, yeah, yeah, I got beat by that deck last night. I watched that thing like make however many tokens and just smash the table. Like, that's going to be a story, right? And like, let's be honest, folks. Yep. Here on our show, if you're like coming to us listening for how to get like CEDH level of proficiency in the game, think again. We like eight mana enchantments that don't really do a whole lot. But if you want a story, oh man, come and sit with us. There'll be stories to tell around the around the table about the ridiculous nonsense that we just pulled with Legion loyalty on the battlefield. So yeah. I'm here for it. I think Legion Loyalty is good. All right, my turn. Nalia Dernice. Nalia Dernice is one white black for a 3-3 legendary creature human rogue. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast a cleric, rogue, warrior, and wizard spell from the top of your library. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control, and those creatures gain death touch until in the turn. What do we think of Nalia Durarnis? Hmm. No. I'm not sure on this one. It's leaning into the party mechanic, which is hard, because I'm not sure the party mechanic was actually that good. Right? Like, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I don't think the set... Yeah. I don't think it was that impactful uh, a mechanic. And now, like, you're leaning into this to find... Like, you need a full complement of your... Your... Um, of your party. In order to put plus one plus encounters on each creature you control. And those creatures gain death touch. So, like... You've got to play Nalia. You've got to have a full... Party... And then you've got to get around to your combat phase on your turn without this dying in order to get a plus one plus one counter on all your creatures. I don't know. This feels kind of like a trap. Lux, am I wrong? And it, honestly, it might yeah. be. Like, it seems like a neat card. And, like, I'd probably want to play around with it. But... You know, and you're and you're going to go look back and looking at your your cards from Zendikar Rising and look for clerics and rogues and warriors and wizards. But I don't know. Like, I, I like the the casting cost. I like three mana for a three three. I think that's good. There's none of these texts that are drawbacks. Well, that's probably fairly positive. But like, I just feel like the payback for putting together the party is to have simply put a plus one counter on things you control. So, yeah. Anything else, Lux? All right. Nope. We got one more card here, Lux. Tasha the Witch Queen. Yeah, we have. Yep, for three and blue and black legendary planeswalker Tasha, starting at four loyalty. And her static ability is whenever you cast a spell you don't own, and create a 3-3 Black Demon Creature token. Her plus one is draw a card for each opponent, exile up to one target instant or sorcery card from that player's graveyard, and put a page counter on it. 
And minus three, you may cast a spell from among cards in exile with page counters on them without mm. paying its mana cost. And it says Tasha the Witch King so can be your commander. Minster, it can be your commander. All right. So okay. So this cares. This yep. is like Steely Dot deck. So like your Gaunty deck now becomes a Tasha deck, splashing blue. So you're going to get things like, uh, or or it goes in things like. Um, Evelyn, where you're playing Grixis Vampires, and you can slide Tasha the Witch Queen in it. Um, it you would get, I don't know, whatever else. Like, like it's just all the stuff that steals stuff out of your opponent's deck, which is pretty cool. I don't know. Like, I don't know how good this is going to be because it doesn't protect itself very well. Um, you need to like you need to exile stuff from your your opponent's graveyards. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. It feels okay. It feels okay. It feels interesting for sure, doesn't it? And it's hard to get a read yep. on how ultimately powerful this is. Like, I can build a deck in my head or start the process of building a deck in my head where this card is, is you know, better than just medium. It's like medium to good. <laughs> but I can also build a situation where this card is just neglected by the format and just falls by the wayside. So, anyway. Anything else about Tasha you wanted to say, Lux? No? Okay. Fair nope. enough. Well, that's a lot of a lot of cards. Let's look at this a dozen or so. We're gonna hold up there for this week. We'll come back next week because there's more gonna be more Baldur's Gate to come out and more of us and more things to discuss. So we'll talk about more Baldur's Gate uh, at another time. So we're gonna move on to segment three, Lux. We're gonna uh, look at our Evelyn list. Uh, Evelyn Grixis Vampires list. And so, for those of you who may not be familiar, um, Evelyn is a Grixis-colored vampire. So two, you have a blue-black hybrid, black, and then a black-red hybrid. You get a 2-5 creature uh, vampire rogue with flash. And the flash is more impactful than, it was, than I thought it was going to be. Anyway, but, um, no, flash is pretty quite good. So it says, whenever Evelyn, the covetous, or another vampire enters the battlefield, under your control, exile the top card of each player's uh, library with a collection counter on it. Uh, once each turn, you may play a card from exile with a collection counter on it uh, as if it was exiled by an ability you controlled. And you may spend mana as it were mana of any color. So, your deck's going to be full of vampires looking to exile things on the top of your opponent's deck and cast them. Right? So, like, the list has got 31 vampires and you're looking to have them come into play, do the thing. Um, and every time they do, Evelyn's going to steal stuff off the top of your opponent's deck. And that's the big interesting piece with this deck, because like anytime you can steal your opponent's stuff, you can be in for a really good scene, you know, to play, depending on what you hit off your opponent's deck, to really run away with the game. You might not. Right, if you hit a bunch of nothing, then you're going to be kind of at the mercy of your opponents. So I don't know about it particularly, but it seems pretty okay. So, um, the you know vampires are great. Um, going on like the ramp in this deck is the hardest part because the ramp in Grixis is not great. So you're playing your Sol Ring, your Rakdos Signet, your Isn't Signet, Felrestone, Demir, Demir Signet, Cl 
uh, Commander Sphere, Arcane Signet. So that's like seven, eight rampy sort of abilities that, I mean, I think are, you know, enough, but I'm not sure if it's really going to get the job done. Um, I mean, I am a little worried this deck's going to result in being choked on mana. Um, oh, we need to fix that. So we're going to take that out. Because I am I am short on land. And I'm not going to be... That's why I was having struggling. Oh, love it on here, folks. When you find, discover that you have, you're short some land. So right now, this, this deck is running 34 land. Which, you know, is probably not enough. Looking at the curve. Looking at the curve of this deck. The curve of this deck is um, pretty... Pretty heavy at that at two, three, and four, and tops out at five. There are no cards in this deck that cost more than five mana. So, in my mind, you could probably get away. That's not true. There are two spells that cost eight and nine mana. Uh, what's that? What are they? They're pretty big. Um, I can't. Oh, did I find it? Oh, dig through time and like treasure cruise. I bet the other one is. Uh, sorceries. No, it's not there. Anyway, there's not a lot of ex really expensive spells to to keep you on your toes here. Um, but that said, you desperately need to get enough the right colors of mana to be able to get your Evelyn into play, because that's the whole reason your deck exists. So, a little bit tricky all the way around, but um. Yeah, it seems like a yep. it seems like a pretty decent build. Um, I think my favorite inclusion in this in this list, Lux, that aren't vampires, are the fastest deep dwelling and the panharmonicon and the conjurer's closet. Those three cards, I think, <laughs> if you can get things online and get those things active and pinging things in and out of play, you're going to have a lot of triggers. You're going to lose a lot of triggers. You're going to forget them, but you're also going to make somebody very, very, very unhappy with how their game went. Because Conjurer's Closet with, is going to blink a vampire, and you're going to get Evelyn's ability to trigger yet again, and stealing yet more cards. I think ultimately the best case scenario like, for this deck is that you exile a whole bunch of cards, hopefully leaving your opponent with not much left, and they can get finished off by something else. So anyway, that's my thought. On Mystic, uh, I'm sorry, on uh, Evelyn the, the Covetous. Anyway, Lux, anything else you want to you know throw in here that uh, that you sort of like, things that you liked or things that you were a little bit surprised that I included or you know anything else? Yeah, and not really. It's just that if you ask me, then. Evelyn seems like a better in commander for Absolutely. Maestros I think than we've, Xander we've does. over that here on the show. I think Evelyn is significantly more appealing on many levels. I feel like this is like a more more Grixisy commander than than Xander, and I think it's far more playable in the sense you can actually resolve it and make use of it. So I do I do like it better than Xander by a fair margin. All right. If you're interested, you by all means, you can check the list out in the show notes, everybody, and have a look. Let, leave some comments. Let us know what you thought. Do you like the deck? It costs $122. It's 
So it's pretty budget. Um, and you can, you know, put it together without too much difficulty, put it to good use and have a good, have fun time playing with your peers, playing with your friends at, at, at the next time you gather around the table or maybe over spell table. So I think that's, that's sort of the appeal of Evelyn. It's not going to hurt the wallet too badly. Um, all things considered. All right. Um, that's just going to wrap up this week's show. Um, I'd like a big thanks to Lux for uh, stopping in and making sure that we're on, we get the show out this week. For all you lovely listeners, if you like what you hear, you want to, we'd love to hear some feedback from from all you out there out there in the world. Uh, you can reach out to us on email at theepicexperimentpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach to us at Twitter at at epicexpcast, um, or you can check out all of our decks at moxfield.com. Look for the username the Epic Experiment Podcast. You can find every deck that we have brewed for the show, so you can go have a look. Also, on your favorite platform, uh, whatever, whichever it is, uh, whether it's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, um, or Amazon, or Spotify, leave a comment, like, follow, subscribe, whatever you can do to get the word out there every week that we are here talking Commander each and every week for you. Um, but at this time, this is the Epic Experiment Podcast signing off. I wish you all the best wherever you next play match. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Have a great one. We'll talk to you.